I want to ask you a series of questions after we read the first verses of Nehemiah chapter 1. And then, Lord willing, we're going to be able to get to the actual prayer of Nehemiah uh, that begins in verse 5. But I want to read verse 1 through verse 4, and then we're going to pray. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Lord, as Nehemiah continues in his prayer, so too we offer our prayer before you this evening. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize how great and awesome you truly are. I know it's a buzzword that is used even by young people today when they talk about something. It could be a movie or a game or something that is going on and they call it awesome. But there is only one who is truly awesome. And that is the God of our salvation. We are thankful that you are the one that keeps covenant. And even when we break it on a regular basis, when we break the commands that you have given to us, we turn around, Lord, and we still are amazed at the steadfast love with which you surround us. Our hearts, our minds, every aspect of our being. Lord, I just cannot fathom sometimes how much it is that you love us, how much your steadfast mercy and your grace and your blessings, your providence continue to be poured out upon us. So we ask, Father, this evening that we would be encouraged in your word through the ministry of Nehemiah and what he went through in his life. I know, Lord, that you used him to be able to help to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem and And I'm sure that that must have caused great shame if we could only imagine what that would be like for us as a people here. If we were to find that the the gates, as it were, of our city or maybe our country was broken down and there were not enough people that cared enough to be able to rebuild those walls, that's exactly where Nehemiah was. And the shame that he knew that it brought not just on the people of Israel, but it also brought on Uh, them as individuals as well as on the name of the Most High God. So help us, Father, to consider within our lives and if there are areas where the walls have been broken down that you would rebuild those walls and that you would help us to be faithful in, in the areas that we are called to so that we might be a light once again to the community around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to ask you, the first question I want to ask you is this. What does it mean to fast? What does it mean? It means not to eat. eat. Okay. Hold on. 
Okay. Fasting is to take your mind off food and put it on God. Okay. Anybody else? Consecration of everything else around you and focusing on God. Okay. Is is fasting important? Okay. How, how often do we fast? Sometimes never. Sometimes not often enough. Uh, what 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 do we see as an example of fasting that we would say maybe from the world of heathenism? Uh, what would we see within the realm of fasting that would give us the wrong idea of fasting? Name me a religion that fasts. Okay, Catholics do. What is the purpose of fasting for a Catholic? To give up something for relent. Okay, so for a 40-day period, they give up whatever it may be, chocolate or, you know, whatever. And and what's the purpose of giving that up, though? What what would they tell you? To get closer to God. Hmm... No, not not really within Catholicism. Well, to be honest, I, I don't believe they give a true definition of why you're doing it. They're saying that you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Right. Okay. To remember to give to the church. Okay. That that could that could be one. Yep. They you know they encourage that if you're not eating meals to take that money and. Okay. Uh, well, that that was originally one of the reasons why the Catholic Church instituted no meat on Friday. Because the people were spending the money, and so the church found another way to be able to get money into the coffers was to request that the people, or forbid the people from eating meat on a Friday. So therefore they would eat fish, which in many countries where Catholicism was, fish was... Pretty much a ready staple. It was a lot cheaper. It's still that way in a lot of countries today. For example, I mean, you can go into any of the West African countries and it's cheaper to buy fish than it is any other meat. So that was, again, one reason why they did that. Could another reason be um, they wanted to be more uh, works-based? It's a works-based kind of theory. Um, Be more holy like the the monks were. Yes. Yep, there we go. Now we're on the right track. So, so with with the holiness, for example, uh, Martin Luther. There, there were times that Martin Luther, and I think the longest fast that he ever recorded was something like twenty one days when he was a monk. Now, there's another religion though that also does this. Well, there are several religions that actually fast. Does anybody think of another one? Huh? Buddhists do. Yep, Muslims, the Muslims do. And, and and they fast during Ramadan, for example. That's their they fast at other times throughout the year, but that's their big thirty day uh fasting time during Ramadan, and they're actually not allowed to eat anything from sun up until sundown. And they can then break, they can take sips of water throughout the day, and then in the evening time, once the sun goes down, they they a lot of them actually will I was getting ready to say pig out, but that wouldn't have that wouldn't have been appropriate. And I was I wasn't in I wasn't intending to do that. Um, but that was the only thing that came to mind. They're basically gorging themselves during the evening. It, it's gluttony. It's exactly what it is. Um, and so they will actually overeat to be able to take them through. And sometimes they will 
they will eat, they'll get up super early in the morning before the sun comes up to be able to do the same thing to take them through the day. But again, what is the purpose of a Muslim actually fasting? Does anybody have any idea? So it's actually not to praise their God. Their God is Allah. Um, that's, that's a good thought. But the reason that they do it is so that they might be able to, and it goes back to the works, it's so that they will show that they are a good Muslim in good standing with Allah. And so by doing without food, they are showing their devotion to a God. Now, what's the problem with with that perspective versus what we should see within the scriptures. I mean, who else can you tell me in the scriptures that fasted? David. David did? Okay. David fasted often. I think most of the apostles did. Um, okay. We're told that they did fast, yes. The Ninevites. the Ninevites fasted. Why did they fast? They were instructed to repent. Okay. They were instructed to repent. Yeah. Right, but did Jonah tell them to fast? I think so, huh? Nope, Jonah didn't tell them to fast. He simply walked through town, said, repent. Repent, for judgment is at hand. And they were brought to the point of fasting. That's going to tell us a little bit about fasting. Okay, somebody else had something over here. Who else? I was thinking Moses or Job. One of the two. Moses did, yep, certainly. Um, I believe that, that Job probably did as well. One of the patriarchs, there are times when he would have spent time um, uh, like in sacrificing on behalf of his kids. Um, and there were times certainly that he would have not eaten during probably times of great intense sorrow. That's still, that's still an aspect of Middle Eastern life today. Um, in fact, in a lot of countries, you'll find people not just because they're sick, but... It, it, but but because uh, the grief sometimes overwhelms them to the point that food uh, that they find no comfort within with eating food. Um, why would we? Let's bring it back here now to home. Why would we fast? Why would why would somebody say, "Well, I'm I'm taking time to fast now," or I'm fasting over, and normally it's with long face, or they get really pale, or uh, you know, uh, diet. Yeah, diet is a good one. Um, you know, why are we fasting? We're fa In fact, go on the internet, go to Facebook or wherever you want to go, and you will find all kinds of plans out there that now involve intermittent fasting. There, now, I think I know where you're going. One is to look at me. Okay, some people can do that. The other is looking to God. Because in the Bible it says, when you fast... Mm -hmm. Put oil in your hair, mm -hmm. wash your face, mm -hmm. and and have the appearance of not fasting. Do you know why Jesus said that? Does anybody have any idea? The Pharisees wanted to make sure that the people knew they were fasting. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what they would do, fasting was normally a sign of mourning. So what they would do is they would take ashes and they would actually rub the ashes on their face and so they would draw their features down so they'd come in and everybody would know that they were fasting when they did that. So they would do without food. They would make a big show up, you know, 
you know, a big show of not being able to eat anything. And again, it was for their own piety. It had nothing to do with worshiping God. Now, when we actually look at Scripture, if you look back at this verse 4 when he is speaking here, and Nehemiah is, there, there are several aspects that have taken place. Number one, of course, the wall has been broken down in Jerusalem, but what are the two words that are mentioned here in regards to the exile? If you open up to the passage, what were the two words or the two phrases that were being used? What was taking place? It says the remnant in verse 3, there in the province who had survived the exile are in great trouble and I'm sorry disgrace it's shame the word is shame there okay so you've got these people and again think think about think about our our for us as, as Americans as westerners it's hard for us to imagine such an event because we don't have city walls like they did in a lot of places back in the Middle East. A city wall, if it was broken down, you were allowing your family to be opened up to be ravaged, to be murdered, to, to whatever, if you weren't protecting your borders, which is why so many people in the Middle East, every time you find the children of Israel, and it talks about Jericho, for example, Jericho thought that they were impervious, not because they were a bigger army, but because they had a... Bigger wall. A wall. Okay, so because they had this wall, what happened? God removed the only refuge that they actually had by causing that wall to fall flat. And so what did they do? The Bible says that the walls collapsed and they walked in right over the top of where these walls had fallen flat. So what God was doing was showing to not just the people of Jericho, but everywhere that that story was going to be told, the children of Israel, and even to this day, if you talk to somebody from Israel who is actually a Jew, they will tell you what that meant. That was instant shame to the people of Canaan to lose that wall. So this is what has happened when we're talking about the Babylonians. The, the, the children of Israel are there with the Babylonians. You have, for example, in Daniel chapter 1, we find that all the royal princes have been taken. More than likely, we don't know for sure, but more than likely the, the, the princes who were taken away from Judah, the choicest of the princes, were taken over to Babylon and they were more than likely made eunuchs. Okay? Now, they are over there, and this is where Nehemiah comes. This is towards the end of the 70 years of exile. Now, there are still some who are left. Um, I believe it's Ezra that tells us that the poor people who were still left in the land, those who maybe didn't have any military prowess, maybe those who didn't have, you know, their father wasn't a governor or their grandfather or, you know, somebody that was important. And so these are the, really the dregs of society. That's all that's left. They're going in and out. Whatever happens tomorrow happens. If they've got food, they've got food. If they die of starvation, they die of starvation. It really doesn't matter to them because there's no pride. There's no more nationalism in Israel. Nobody cares. And it wasn't that there weren't enough people to be able to do it because Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra both actually leave from Babylon. They make the trek across the desert. It would have been a very lengthy trip, probably would have taken anywhere from three weeks to five weeks to be able to make this trek with all of the people and everything that they had. They're going to walk every single mile. And as they walk those miles and they're thinking, 
They're going back for one purpose, and it's to be able to build the wall. They are going there for the purpose of seeing nationalism, of seeing the pride of Israel come back into place again. But more importantly, somebody like Nehemiah is much more concerned about the nationalism. He's concerned about what God thinks. Now, that really is where fasting comes into where we need to consider this evening, and I believe into the future. What is the purpose of of fasting? The purpose of fasting is not for the purpose of losing weight. Now, can it be used to lose weight? Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're fasting for a spiritual purpose, let me clarify there, If our purpose in fasting is for spirituality or we're reading the scriptures and it is impressed upon our heart and mind that this is something that we should do, it can be done on an individual basis. You can have another brother or sister who comes up to you and say, hey, I'm really burdened about, let's take for example, um, say some of the people, because this is being recorded, so I'm going to be careful what I say. Uh, But let's say that there are some of the folks who are non-believers and they're coming with their spouses to service. And they are just really burdened. And maybe that person is is asking, starting to ask serious questions about who God is and how do we respond. That could be a time when that person comes up to you and they say, would you really be in fervent prayer for me? And as you're down on your knees and you are praying fervently for this individual to come to faith, it may be that God places on your heart the purpose of fasting. Now, here's where I believe that we as Christians sometimes go way astray. The purpose of fasting, from a spiritual perspective, is not to make God do what we want him to do. Now, a lot of people think that that's the way that it works. When I was when we were first married, we went to a few churches, and there were times we would actually have, we went to one church, it was several hundred people, and throughout the week, they made this big deal and and and. and uh, had a big service and they talked about fasting and prayer and, and everybody was supposed to take a certain period of time, a three-hour period or four-hour period. And so for a long time, we actually prayed, Brother Jeff, we prayed through the night. We prayed everybody that took a shift at different times. Everybody was supposed to fast. You weren't supposed to have anything but water during that period of time. And it was for the purpose, what we were told was so that God would listen to us and that he would answer our prayers. Now, here's the problem. Does God answer our prayers without fasting or with fasting? The problem is that what we were being told was that we would be able to bend the will of God so that we would get yes answers to our prayers. Because a lot of times, isn't that what happens? I mean, we go and we say, Lord, we, we pray that you would heal this individual. We talk about Sister Blanca, for example. And in praying for Sister Blanca, we're not praying we're not praying for any nefarious reasons. We're, we're hoping and praying that she actually gets better. But what is more important than asking that God bring healing to Sister Blanca? His will be done. And if we are asking for the will of God to be done, that means that no matter what happens, whether by life or by death, we are the Lord's. And that means that whatever God brings into our life, we will recognize his sovereignty. So that can't be what fasting is for. That can't be what Nehemiah is doing here in chapter 1, verse 4. So I believe what we see in this passage here, again, let's read this. As soon as I heard the words, the words of what? 
the gates are destroyed, Jerusalem is broken down, the exile or the remnant is in great trouble, and they are in shame. There are a lot of things that are going on here. Is fasting going to make one bit of difference in the walls being built back up again? No. No. It requires what? People. People. Workers. Workers. What about the shame? What about the shame? What about the great distress that the people are in? How does that change? Does that come by fasting? So if everybody everybody that was in the remnant in Israel, if they were to start fasting, is that actually going to make a difference? No. To bring back their, or to get rid of their shame. To get rid of their shame. Is, is the fast... Yeah, but even building the wall, if, if we were to go out here and get a bunch of bricks and actually build a wall around the church, is that going to get rid of the shame that any of us have in our life? No, I guess not. But, no. But national pride. Right, but, but na- national pride isn't based on political party or affiliation. That has nothing to do with it. So again, the point is that I'm trying to get you to think through is this. There's much more to fasting than what we see on the surface. And that's where the prayer of Nehemiah comes in because he's fasting. And I want to show you, he gets down in verse 6. Now, remember what he has said in verse 5. He said, those who do what at the end? Two things. Love God and obey his commandments. That's the same thing that we hear Jesus Christ say some 700 years later when he comes to this earth. And he says, if you love me, you will obey me. me. You will keep my commandments. Okay. So now we know that it has something to do with obedience. This is what the fasting is. This is what the praying is for. Because the shame has come, is the shame really about the wall? No, read verse 6, Brother Doug. Verse 6. Verse 6, Nehemiah 1, 6. Okay. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel. Stop just a second. So this is going back to verse 4. He's referencing the people who are not just in exile at this point, as far as those who are in Babylon, he's talking about the people who are in the land. Now, ultimately, who were the children of Israel? They were the children of God. They were the children of God. Now, we know when we get to Romans in the New Testament, though, that not all children of Abraham are actually the children of Abraham, right? Because some of them were physically children of Abraham, but spiritually they actually were far from God. So again, Nehemiah here is talking about what? What do you think he's talking about here? We already covered it in the previous verse. Being chosen. Okay, what else? Remnant. But what does the remnant do? If God told the children of Israel in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, if my people which are called by my name, name, will do what? Huh? Humble themselves. themselves. Turn from their their wicked ways. And humble themselves. Then what? I will bless them. I will hear from heaven, right? 
This is exactly what Nehemiah is saying. He's referencing back to the prayer from Solomon. King Solomon, just maybe 300 years earlier. And so he says here, confessing, or wait a minute, he says, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. So again, why is he praying? Is he praying because those poor people are, are, are running around and they're just going in and out of the city of Jerusalem without any walls? Is that really what this is about? Nope. Keep reading, Brother Doug. Day, uh, for day and night, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. Okay, somebody read verse 7. We have worked in utter destruction against you and have not kept the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which you commanded your servant Moses. Okay, somebody read verse 8. Okay, hold on just a second. Unfaithful in what? Serving him. Obedience. Obedience. That is what this entire first chapter of Nehemiah is about. He's talking about the shame, the shame because they were lacking in obedience, the shame because they had sinned, the shame because his father's house had sinned. He is accepting the responsibility for all the sin of Israel. The difference is between him and the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord Jesus Christ was the only person who ever came on the scene who had the ability to be able to make atonement for the people. The only thing that Nehemiah can do is pray and fast. That's it. So what is Nehemiah doing here? All of these verses, there's, there's the same common theme here. Obedience, sin. Lack of obedience, shame. Lack of obedience, reproach. Lack of obedience, unfaithfulness. This is the same. God has told the children of Israel the same thing now for centuries. Whether it was with Moses, Moses is sitting there and he, and, and he goes up to the mountain, he spends 40 days fasting, he comes back down and he tells this in the ears of all the people and all the people say, all that the Lord God has said, we will do. do. Moses is probably saying, bravo, golf clap. You guys are so special. So important. And what does he do? He reads it. So not only does he speak the words of God, but he reads the words of God directly written by the finger of God. And the people again say, all that the Lord God has said, we will do. You know what? I don't think, I don't think they went an entire year in their history without doing something wrong. They're no different than we are, Brother Sam. We fail, we fail miserably. We still sin against God. And this is what is happening. I believe that in the fasting that Nehemiah is doing, he is relating, let's relate all of this together. So the purpose of fasting is not because Nehemiah was a little fat man and he needed to be able to lose some weight. The purpose of Nehemiah fasting is not because he wants God to bend his will to him. What now do, do, do we see is the purpose of fasting? To reconcile with God. To reconcile with God. Yeah. To realize that the obedience that they should have done 
all of these years, all of these decades, can you imagine an army, Chinese army, North Korean army, whatever, they come to America and they take us away and the prophets all tell us, true prophets of God tell us, you're going to be taken away and you're going to be gone for 70 years. Now there ain't none of us, maybe except for the little ones that are even going to be alive in 70 years. And yet apart during that entire time, how many accounts do we actually read of that the people repented of their sin before God. One person. Any guesses? Nope. Nope, that's at the end of the exile. There's only one person who purposed in their heart to do what they were supposed to do. Daniel. Jeremiah's already dead. So Daniel is the only one because these other prophets that are coming, they are post, what's called post-exilic. They are after the exile. They would have been in that group, but remember, by this time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were more than likely they are dead because they are no longer holding places of authority within the empire. The only one that we are told about is Daniel. So there's only one person who has, there's only one person that we are aware of that actually strove, that actually was striving to please God in every way through the entire 70 years of the exile. So we have Daniel who comes, who is probably 13, 14, 15 years old when he is taken away to Babylon. And he's now... Even in that day, he would have been an old man who was well into his mid-80s. Okay? So now, along the way somewhere, Nehemiah is born. He is raised up. And it's more than likely everybody knew who Daniel was. After all, he's the second in the kingdom. So why don't we read more accounts of people who are willing to confess their sin, to fast, and to be able to pray and say, Lord... We broke your covenant, but Lord, we ask you that you would forgive your children. You don't read of it. So what are we called to do? This is what Nehemiah, I believe, is speaking of here in verse 5. And he says, again, he recognizes the Lord. He recognizes, as we find in the model prayer from Matthew chapter 6, when the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. And he says, when you pray, pray after this manner, our Father who art in heaven. Now, this is not the Lord's prayer, by the way, because in Matthew chapter 6, we find the Lord Jesus Christ giving the model prayer. And part of that model prayer is to ask for what? God's will, but what else are we asking for in, I'm sorry, forgiveness. Was there anything that Jesus had to be forgiven for? Did Jesus sin? Nope, not even a shadow of sinning. There's nothing that Jesus could be forgiven for because he was perfect. He was completely and totally without sin. Yeah, it, it is. It's for the disciples and it's for us. Yeah, if you want to read the real Lord's Prayer, read John chapter 17. 
in which he says, Lord, glorify me, Father, glorify me, as, as I have been glorified and as I will be glorified again. It is in that prayer that he not only prays for his disciples, but he prays for those who will come after. He prays for those who are his children, who will become his children at some point in the future. So let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. And he says again in verse, going back down to verse uh, 29, or verse 9, he says, but if you return to me, this is again what Moses was already warned and promised. It was the same thing that David was promised. It was the same thing that Solomon was promised. It was the same thing when somebody brought a roll out of the temple to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah goes, oh my goodness, we should have been doing this all along. Josiah. There were only a handful of kings that were good. And he says, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them. Okay? Verse 9. Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. This is what Nehemiah is ultimately getting to. What is the name of Jesus in the New Testament from Matthew chapter 1? Starts with an I. Which means what? God with us. You see, Jerusalem was the dwelling place of God until the Lord Jesus Christ comes down to this earth and we would then find that the Lord Jesus Christ would never leave us. And when he does, he left his Holy Spirit or he sent his Holy Spirit to be able to stay with us so that we will never again. This again is the same common thread that goes all the way through Ephesians chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, and eventually you find yourself in the book of Revelation. And it says, the dwelling place of God is with men and he will never leave them. It's an entire thread that goes from Genesis all the way through Revelation. You see, you can't start or end, Brother Jeff, with any book of the Bible without seeing God's hand at work. And this is what Nehemiah is doing in this simple prayer. And he says at the end of that, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by what? He goes back to the same thing he says at the beginning of the prayer. You are great and awesome. And what does he say about the people of God? They've been redeemed by your what? Great power. power. And by your strong hand. So he is now recognizing exactly what God has already told them down through the centuries to do. Day after day, the kings were required to read the law of God every year as a king. They were to listen to the prophets. Did they do it? Nope. Did the kings obey? Nope, they sure didn't. And so now they find themselves in shame, great shame, great distress, great reproach. The walls of Jerusalem have broken down. Why? It wasn't because Babylon was a greater, larger army. Do you remember what happened with the Assyrians when Sennacherib comes comes and surrounds Jerusalem? What happens in one night with one angel? 185,000 soldiers are destroyed by one angel. Can you imagine what would happen if God unleashed the entire heavenly host? 
There wouldn't be anything left of earth. It would be scorched. And this is what he says here. Now, Lord, I have recognized, this is a summation of everything that he's talking about. Lord, I want you to understand something. I am recognizing your sovereignty. I am recognizing your power. I am recognizing your great mercy. I am recognizing that we have broken your commandments. I am recognizing that we have been living in such a way that we are no longer pleasing to you. I am recognizing that we are not holy. That's the standard. This is why Nehemiah is fasting. Nehemiah is fasting because he recognizes that they need to spend time on their faces asking God to make them more like him. This ultimately brings us back to what you said at the beginning. Yes, that is the purpose, so that we might become more like God. That's why we fast. Not because we don't need the food. Not because we don't need the drink. Not because we don't need... And some people can't... I've got a low blood sugar, so I struggle to be able to fast for any great lengths of time. But that doesn't mean that I... If I give up food and I made it 21 days or 40 days of fasting without anything, and yet I'm no closer to God by spending that time, have I really accomplished anything? I'm wasting my time. You're exactly right. If, if you fast for a long time, in my mind, it's only God's power that can get you through the fasting. Sure, but what I'm talking about is at the end of that period, if, if I have not, if God has not used that time to bring me closer to Him, right. to recognize my need of a greater level of holiness, then I have blown the reason for why I'm fasting. And this is what Nehemiah is doing here. He is recognizing the need, which is why he is in mourning. He would have had ashes. He would have probably spread them from the fireplace after he made his food or his bread was made. And he would have taken these from the fireplace and he would have smeared them over his face, smeared them down his hands. Anybody that saw him would have known that he was fasting. But why is he fasting? He's fasting because of the lack of holiness. I knew this was coming. Look what he says. Let's finish this up. Sorry, go ahead, Doug. Uh, keep preaching, brother. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to make it to my car right <laughs> So he says this, continuing in verse, not, in verse 11. Not only let your ear be attentive to my prayer and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, but give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. God, Nehemiah recognizes that even the hand of the king is in the hand of the king. Great way to end a prayer. I mean, this is, isn't this what we find in James chapter 5? It, it, Lord, if it's your will, instead of saying we are going to do this or we are going to do the other, Lord, how about we... If it is your will, we will be able to do this or do that. That is God's will. And our being willing to acknowledge that doesn't change what he's going to do. But our spending time with God helps us to be able to recognize that whether it's in good times or in bad times, God is still in control. And what do we find happens to Nehemiah? 
Nehemiah is one of my favorite books. Because Nehemiah gets permission from the king. He's the king's cupbearer. Does anybody know what a cupbearer was? Uh, it was more than that though. He tasted it. Talk about a short lifespan. If somebody wanted to kill the king and the cupbearer falls over dead while he's holding the cup, king looks down and he goes, well, guess I won't be drinking that Kool-Aid. So it was a short life expectancy. But now God gives them favor. And go through and we find that Nehemiah actually, in my estimation, was probably one of the greatest men of prayer that you will find in the entire Bible. There are times that Nehemiah is so close to God that all he does is says, Lord, help your servant. And God does just that. I mean, sometimes we can wax long and eloquent in our prayers or, or you know, even at times and then we get distracted and the phone rings or, or something comes on the radio or whatever it may be that's going on. And, and yet Nehemiah here, he is so connected by this time. He's sought forgiveness for his sins. He's seeking to live in obedience to God's command. And now we find somebody who is right where God wants him. And now God finds him a useful servant. Now he's a tool fit for the master's use. And I think that if you and I are going to learn anything from this first prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 1, it is this. Whether we fast, whether we're doing without food, whether we're doing without time on the internet, whether we're doing without TV time, whether we're doing whatever it is that you believe that you need to cut out of your life for a period of time, do it for one purpose so that you will know God more. What a difference. Find a book. Start in the Psalms. Read through the Psalms and ask God to reveal himself to you. You won't be able to read through chapters like Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And realize what God has accomplished. What God didn't have to do on our behalf, but did anyway, despite us. What a God. Going back to what Nehemiah says, what a great and awesome God. So when you go back, I encourage you to read through the book of Nehemiah. It's not that many chapters. I think it's, what, 12 or 13 chapters total. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'll take a look here real quick. 13. Read through there and write down every prayer that you find from Nehemiah. And it'll start off and it'll tell you, and I prayed. And Nehemiah prayed. And this is what he prayed. And when you have written those down, ask yourself, do my prayers look like that or do they look more like, Lord, I want, I need, I want, I need. You see, Nehemiah didn't pray that way after he had recognized his sinful place before God. He recognized the holiness of God. I'm going to conclude for this, for the evening.